Right, literally two minutes. Share on tables what you know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who he was, and why he's remembered today. Literally just two minutes. Without looking at the handout, I should say. (laughs) Okay, uh, you've had two minutes. Uh, We won't review what you've said, but hopefully we'll expand on some of the uh, thoughts you've had. Now, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, (coughs) under three headings. We'll look at his life, we'll look at his theology what his Christian beliefs were, and then hopefully we'll have time at the end for some group work where you can actually think about how we should apply today uh, what we've learned about him. So the practical application, I'm hoping, will be the most important part of this morning. So we'll look first at Bonhoeffer's life. Um, He was born in 1906 in Breslau. Now, that's... was Germany, it's now Poland. Uh, It was a large family. It wasn't a religious family, but they were rather more interested in literature and the arts. And yet, at the age of only 14, he announced that he wanted to be a Christian minister. And, believe it or not, a theologian at the age of only 14. (coughs) So he completed his bachelor's degree and master's degree at the Protestant University at Tübingen. He was only 21 Uh, when he completed his doctorate. So, pretty bright guy. But he was far too young to be ordained as a minister. So what he did was he went to America. He went there for postgraduate study in New York. And there he had life-changing experiences, both in terms of uh, what he learned and whom he met. And he particularly met a guy called Frank Fisher, who was a black fellow student. And he introduced him to the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem. And Bonhoeffer, in fact, taught Sunday school there. And he began to understand there some of the problems in America in terms of race and particularly the issues surrounding uh, the black population, particularly in the southern states in terms of uh, what was still going on in terms of enforced segregation and so on. And he was particularly concerned, not just with that, but what the church was doing about it, because he felt that the church was not addressing that problem in America. So after that, he went back to Germany in 1931, and he became a lecturer in systematic theology at the University of Berlin. And then finally, he was ordained at the age of 25 in 1931. But everything changed dramatically when Hitler came to power in 1933, 30th of January. And interestingly, Bonhoeffer was a determined opponent to the Hitler regime from its very first days. In fact, just two days after Hitler was installed as Chancellor, Bonhoeffer himself delivered a radio address in which he attacked Hitler and warned Germany against slipping into an idolatrous cult of the Führer word in in German for the leader and he was actually cut off in mid-air even at that stage in April 1933 that was only two months later he raised the first voice for church resistance to Hitler's persecution of the Jews and he said the church must not simply 
bandage the victims under the wheel, but Jammer spoke in the wheel itself. So pretty strong stuff right from the outset of Hitler's regime. And interestingly, a year before Hitler came to power in 1932, there had been elections for ministers and church officials of the German Landeskirche, and that's the Protestant-established church in Germany at that time. But when Hitler came to power, he overturned those elections and brought in new elections. And Bonhoeffer put all his efforts into the election, campaigning for the selection of independent, non-Nazi officials. But despite his efforts, those elections were rigged and an overwhelming number of key church positions went to Nazi supporters, the so-called German Christian group. And we need to remember, those were the group of Christians in Germany who were very much pro-Hitler at that time. Uh, so I hope you can uh, put to one, one side the uh, um, practising next door. Um, so in August 1933, uh, Bonhoeffer and a colleague were asked by opposition church leaders to draft a confession, a new statement of faith in opposition to this German Christian movement. And the confession was notable for affirming God's faithfulness to Jews as his chosen people. But ultimately, this confession was so watered down that Bonhoeffer refused to even sign it. And then, again in 1933, so Hitler's only been in power for under a year, the National Church Synod of the German Christian Movement voluntary passed a resolution to apply an Aryan paragraph within the church, meaning that pastors and church officials of Jewish descent were to be removed from their posts. That's 1933. And then in November of that same year, 20,000 German Christian supporters, they're the Nazi-supporting Christians, demanded, would you believe, the removal of the Old Testament from the Bible, which they saw as heresy. 1933. Now, in opposition to all of this, there emerged the Pastors' Emergency League. And within weeks, more than a third of German pastors had joined this. And that's a forerunner of what was known at the time as the Confessing uh, Church Movement. Those were basically the Christians in Germany at that time who were in opposition to Hitler. And what they tried to do was to preserve traditional, biblically-based Christian beliefs and practices. And they produced what was known as the Barman Declaration. And that was adopting, adopted by the confessing church movement. And that insisted that Christ, not the Fuhrer, was the head of the church. OK, so Bonhoeffer's, at that point, 1933, stood up already to the uh, German authorities under Hitler. He was then offered a post in London and he went to London in 1933, end of the year, and was there for two years, actually pastoring a church in south-east London, near where, in fact, we used to live. And he was criticised at that time for escaping the persecution. But he basically said, look, I'm, nobody's listening to me back in Germany. I need some time out. And even when he was in London, he was supporting uh, the movement against Hitler in terms of the church at that time. He then went back to Germany in 1935 and he became head of an underground seminary 
for training confessing church pastors. Uh, and as the Nazi suppression of the church continued, uh, his authorization to teach in Berlin at the university there was cancelled and the Nazis denounced him as a pacifist, an enemy of the state. And then in 1937, Himmler, he was uh, one of the cohorts of Hitler, decreed the education and examination of confessing church ministry candidates, again, these are the good guys, to be illegal. And then the Gestapo closed their seminary as well the following month, arresting 27 pastors and former students. Now, it was at that point that Bonhoeffer published his best-known book, which we're going to come back to in a minute or two, called The Cost of Discipleship. That was a study on the Sermon on the Mount in which he attacked what he called cheap grace. And he described what was going on in much of the German church of that time as cheap grace. And we'll look at what that means in a moment. By contrast, he preached what he called costly grace. He spent the next two years secretly travelling from one eastern German village to another to conduct, as it were, a seminary on the run, Bible college on the run, uh, supervising his students, most of whom were working illegally in small parishes. Uh, Then in 1938, the Gestapo banned Bonhoeffer from even visiting uh, Berlin. So you can see they're gradually closing in on him at this time. Then with war threatening... Bonhoeffer left for the United States. Might seem rather strange, that was June 1939, at the invitation of a seminary in New York. And amid much inner turmoil, he soon regretted his decision and returned after just two weeks in America. And that was despite strong pressure from his friends to stay in the United States. And he wrote these words, and it's on your handout. I have come to the conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period of our national history. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Christians in Germany will have to face the terrible alternative of either willing the defeat of their nation in order that Christian civilization may survive, or willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroying civilization. I know which of those alternatives I must choose, but I cannot make that choice from security. Meaning he had to be back in Germany uh, to engage in this opposition. And then once he returned to Germany, he was harassed further by the Nazi authorities. He was forbidden to speak in public and he was required to regularly report his activities to the police. 1941, he was forbidden even to print or publish. But then something rather strange happened. He joined an organisation called the Abwehr. Now, the Abwehr was a German military intelligence organisation. Now, you might wonder, how on earth was he able to do that? Well, it appeared that in the Abwehr, which was in a way in Germany in opposition to the Gestapo in terms of looking for power, contained a number of folk who were antagonistic to Hitler. So they recruited Bonhoeffer. And under cover of the Abwehr, he was able to serve as a courier for the German resistance movement. 
and he was also involved in helping German Jews escape to Switzerland. Well, all that continued for a couple of years, but then finally, in 1943, he was arrested and he was imprisoned for a year and a half at Tegel Prison awaiting trial. But there he continued his work among his fellow prisoners and guards, and in fact sympathetic guards helped smuggle his letters out of prison. And one of those guards even offered to help him escape, and he would then disappear with him. But Bonhoeffer declined, fearing the Nazis would take revenge on his family. Now, you may know the next bit, which was in 1944, there was an attempted assassination on uh, Hitler. That was made into a film uh, not so long ago. So, attempted assassination at the Wolf's Lair, which was Hitler's uh, headquarters in eastern Prussia, September 1944. And after that failed attempt, secret Abwehr documents relating to the conspiracy were discovered and Bonhoeffer was accused of association with the conspirators. So what happened then? He was then transferred to the Gestapo's high-security prison. And then in February 1945, remember this is almost the end of the war, he was secretly moved to Buchenwald concentration camp and finally to Flossenburg concentration camp. And there he was sentenced to death on 8th of April 1945. And he was executed by a very unpleasant form of hanging at dawn the following day. And this was only a few days before the camp was liberated by the Allies. So that, in a nutshell, is the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wanted to be a Christian minister from a very early age, and he stood up against Hitler right from the outset and then sacrificially and bravely continued to do that even though it cost him his life so I'll just pause there for a second we'll look at his theology which is quite interesting in a moment but any questions at that stage before we move on no doesn't matter if there are You may have questions later on. So let's look at his theology. What did he believe? Now, Bonhoeffer was a very complex thinker. And I have to say, hand on heart, I do not understand all his theology. Um, But I've had a, a little look, and I think I get an idea on some of it, on some of the bits which I hope will be helpful. And he died before he could write a systematic theology. And there were contradictions there because he was actually a convinced pacifist. And yet at the same time he could participate in the attempt to assassinate Hitler. And he wrote this, Silence in the form of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And the sad thing is that since his death... Bonhoeffer's ideas have been taken on and developed very unhelpfully by liberal thinkers in order to bolster their own views. And the most extreme example is probably that of the so-called Christian atheist movement. Now, you might wonder how on earth there could be a Christian atheist movement. We won't go into that this morning, but you could ask me later if you want. Um, Bizarre. And their watchword was God is dead. And yet they could take on the views of Bonhoeffer. Let me just spend just a moment trying to explain why on earth they might want to do that. 
in his latter years, Bonhoeffer developed thinking in terms of two phrases. One was religionless Christianity, and the other was worldliness. Now, um, you might wonder, you know, how that all fits. Um, but basically, Bonhoeffer's idea of worldliness was that he wanted to bring God and the church back into the secular world. And back into the secular world doesn't mean that he wanted it to be secular in its morals, but he actually wanted worldliness to be God's mandate uh, for Christians in the world. So in other words, Christians in the world working, uh, performing Christian duties in the world in a way that was transforming. So it was transforming the idea of worldliness. Now, we won't look into this uh, anymore, but you can see how people grabbed hold of this idea of worldliness or religionless Christianity, which I won't go into, and actually subverted it in terms of uh, what it might mean. But let's look at uh, the area which I think is helpful, um, which is the area of cheap grace and uh, costly grace. So what did he mean by cheap grace? Well, his idea was really that we're here, it's God's duty to forgive us. And yes, we're Christians in Nazi Germany, but we'll keep our head down. We'll just keep our head down. We won't worry about anything else. In other words, Christianity that didn't really have an edge in the real world. And it's interesting that Luther had said that we are, faith, we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. So basically, um, I've got on your handout a, a, a quote which summarises this idea of cheap grace, and then we'll look at what costly grace means by contrast. Chief grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And that's what he saw around him in Germany at that time. So he said, in opposition to that, we need costly grace. So what does that mean? Let me uh, read the quote again on the handout. Costly grace is costly because it causes us to follow. And it is grace because it causes us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace. Sorry, because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. So I think you get the idea of that. Um, and of course, if you look at uh, Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 23, let me read that. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And that, of course, is not cheap grace. That's costly grace in action. Uh, and Bonhoeffer's idea was that this idea of costly grace will radically affect how you live 
your life. And in fact, as we've just seen, it radically affected the way that he lived his life. Now, let me pause there again for questions before we break up and you do a bit of discussion. Yes. Perhaps jumping back a section. Please do. Actually involved in the plot to kill him. That is an extreme, extremely good question. Was he actually involved in that? Probably. <laughs> no, it's a good question. I, I, I've been trying to find out that, and I'm. He, he was implicated, and, and it could have been he was implicated because his, of his connections with people who were certainly involved. I think the likelihood is that he was involved, yes. But, but the, the, there is no certainty as far as I can see. But, he was in jail. Sorry? He was in jail when happened. He was in Yeah, no, that's a good point. He was in jail when it happened, but there'd been planning, and he had been... Uh, and also, in jail, he had smuggled documents out as well. So, yeah, no, thank you. Good question. A- anything else? Right, well, here's where the rubber hits the road. Um, in groups, can you look at those two questions? You may have time, really, I'm just looking at the clock, just for one, because I'm concerned we do spend some time on this idea of cheap grace and cost of grace. Two questions are these on the handout. What should this idea of costly grace mean for us today? What might it look like in practical terms? So that's the main question. I'll read the other one as well, just in case uh, you've got a few moments, and certainly you could take that one away with you and think about it. So it's reading Romans 13, 1 to 7. What should our attitude be towards the state? Was Bonhoeffer right? When might we disobey the state and to what extent? Uh, Hugh... Huge questions. Um, but so concentrate on the first of those uh, and then I'll call us together. I'll give you about 10 minutes for that because there's quite a lot to think about. OK. OK, sorry to interrupt your uh, discussions. Uh, time is moving on. Um, so just a brief feedback. Um, what about the first question? Um, what should this idea of costly grace mean for us today? What might it look like in practice? Any thoughts? <laughs> Otherwise, I'll pick on the table. <laughs> Any thoughts? We were talking about... Um, like obviously, the situation is very different. I um, thought I was in the United Kingdom, like we're not under this sort of regime. Um, well, one of the things, one of the was kind of... Uh, like, stand-up against people calling themselves Christians that weren't acting like Christians, um, which is a context which we are in. So there's lots of... Jesus and the cost that that involves, we're not willing to 
stand up and, and um, yeah, lose, lose things for the sake of the gospel. Um, yeah. We just want that kind of therapy. Yeah, yeah. No, no, thank you, Jen. That, that's helpful too. Any, any other any other thoughts? I, then I'll give three examples. Time. Let me just give three examples, um, two of which I think you're almost being certainly aware of, and one you may be aware of. Um, this lady, Kate Forbes, who is standing for um, the SNP leadership, who's been very clear on a biblical view of marriage, really helpful, even though it would be costly probably to her future career. One example. Second example, you may have come across, I have only come across it over the last day or so, this guy Aaron Edwards, Dr. Aaron Edwards, um, lecturer at Cliff Bible College in Derbyshire. Cliff Bible College, when I was working at Oak Hill, was always regarded as one of the evangelical colleges. He's just been fired for a particular tweet that supported uh, a biblical view of sexuality. That's a Methodist uh, so-called evangelical college. And his comment is he's probably now unemployable uh, in the UK in higher education. Um, And then the final example, very close to home, is uh, Matthew Roberts' new book. If you haven't got a copy yet, you should buy one. Um, Pride, it's called. And... It, I, I, I forgot to bring a copy so you could look at it but, but basically it deals with this whole idea of idolatry in the world today and hits some very hard places in terms of what it might mean including the whole idea of, of sexual ethics and so on a very clear, very brave book uh, and to call it pride too very clear in terms of where it's coming from um, so we need to pray for Matthew uh, who, as I'm sure you all know, is the Minister Trinity York, uh, for his protection on that. Um, because of time, we won't go into the second question, but I'd be fascinated to know what the answers were if you got to any of those. Uh, let, me, uh, let me pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what we've learned this morning from the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and we particularly thank you for what we've learned about the nature of grace We thank you that it is all grace, that we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith which is alone. And we do pray that your gospel might truly change what we do and how we live, to your honour and glory. Amen.